Let the wise listen and add to their learning. If sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Thank you, Lyle and Natasha. Okay, good morning, everybody. Proverbs, we're going to start with a proverb. It's the title of the message today, right? See if you can help me complete it. Practice makes... Perfect. Excellent. You guys are fantastic. That is awesome. So we're talking about uh, Wisdom Day. We're going to continue the series that we began uh, last week talking about uh, wisdom. And we just had some selected uh, verses from different chapters of Proverbs. Great stuff. Um, that, that is there. What is wisdom? We began uh, speaking about this last week. And we'll continue uh, this today, but in a much abbreviated fashion about what is the definition of, of wisdom. There's some great great synonyms in chapter one that help us understand what wisdom is. But to sum it up for today, it's making high quality decisions. So in other words, wisdom helps me to make high quality decisions so that I can lead a high quality life. This is what decisions, this is what wisdom helps me to do. And we said last week is how many times have we said to ourselves, I should have seen that coming or, or they should have seen that coming. So the theme verse for the year is something that God has really gripped my heart with, and that is this, that all of us, we'd be sitting in a room Monday, December the 31st, 2018, reviewing the past year, and we would say to ourselves, you know, in the past, in 2017 and 2016, I saw trouble coming and it just ran me over. But in 2018, I saw it coming this year because God's opened my eyes to wisdom and I stepped out of its way. We reduced the amount of times we'd have to say, I should have seen that coming. They should have seen that coming. Wisdom. We want to grow in wisdom. High-quality decisions. A number of years ago, I've lived here my whole life. So a number of years ago, we had a big snowstorm. And snowstorms around here tend to be really heavy, wet snow. And this was one of those. It was very, very heavy, very heavy, wet snow. And there was a lot of traffic. It was, uh, it was, it was really late in the day. And when I had come home, the traffic was really bad on the major roadway that was near me. And so I wanted to go check on it. So I, I took my beloved dog. And we, we went out for a walk. Now, all the experts on the radio and on TV is like, hey, you know, look, the, if you're not from around here, it's really wet. Don't go out on the roads and don't even go around the trees because, you know, it's really, it's heavy and there could be problems with limbs. And I thought, ah, what do they know, right? I've been here my whole life. So I went out there with the beloved dog and uh, on my way back, I decided not to come back by way of the street. I decided to come back by way of a path, like right through a bunch of trees, like surrounded by big, huge heavy trees. And as I'm walking, 20 feet behind me, where I had just been, this massive tree 
boom, fell. Like everything shook. Boom. I thought to myself, this was a low-quality decision that I just made. You know, I said, this was, this was, not, it was not wise. I got home and I told my wonderful wife, Crystal, what happened? She said, is the dog okay? And, dogs? Dog's fine. Dog's absolutely fine. All right. Wisdom. Wisdom's for everybody. Everybody benefits from wisdom because when somebody does something foolish or unwise, they seldom suffer alone. Isn't that true? Think about it. When you know somebody who does something really unwise, they seldom suffer alone. Wisdom is for everybody. Where does wisdom begin? Wow, we just read it. Right? Lal Natasha just read it. Proverbs chapter 9. The Wisdom begins with fear. It begins with fear. Right there, immediately, we have a problem because it's confusing to us. It's confusing to me. It confused me for so many years. Fear, fear to me, is an emotional response. It's like, whoa, I need to, I, I, I'm threatened. I feel scared. I'm quivering. I'm, I'm hiding in a corner. I'm fear. It's an emotional response. But fear in Proverbs and fear in the Bible is not an emotional response. So here's, the biggest, here's one of the biggest battles you're going to face when wanting to live a wise life and wanting to grow in wisdom is to change your thinking. Because in our culture, in our world, our thinking is emotion. And in the Bible, when the Bible says fear, here's the biggest thing. I can't emphasize this enough. Fear is an intellectual response to our need for God. That's what fear is. That's all fear is. It's an intellectual. Remember we said this last week, Proverbs challenges us to turn down the emotion, to turn down the emotion and to turn up the intellect. And fear in the Bible is an intellectual response to my need for God. I have a need for God. We went to Williamsburg right after Christmas this year. Krista, my wife, she's always wanted to go there during uh, Christmas time because Williamsburg really does it up well at uh, Christmas time. And uh, right near there is Bush Gardens. I know some of you have probably been to Bush Gardens before, but at Christmas, they're open and they have 8 million lights. It's called Christmas Town and they have shows and some of the rides are going. So um, we went down there with the kids. Um, and we chose, you know, after all these years of thinking about going, we chose to go there when it was 20 degrees. And so when it's below 32, all the rides are closed. Like, no rides are open. So the kids are really excited about that. We chose the perfect, perfect time to go. And as I walked around the park, I noticed this with the 8 million lights at night at 20 degrees, right? People are all huddled around these heaters with their hands up, right? With the flame. You know the heaters, all those, they, hundreds of these things. Those portable heaters, hands up, just praising the heat. Just, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, almighty heater, right? The flames come. You got to be careful. You got to be careful because those things will light your gloves on fire, right? Which almost happened to me, but just because the heater, what, you know, nobody forced them to go to the heaters. Nobody was there. So you get over to the heater. Nobody's threatening to get to the heater. What? Why? Why? Why did I never pass a heater? Because my brain told me, I need that heater in my life. I've got to get to the heater. It's a major need. My brain told me, nobody threat. Fear in the Bible, you don't fear. Here's our, here's our thought. A lot of people think of it. I thought this for much of my life. I'm going to fear God because I'm scared of God. Or God's going to threaten me. Or God's going to punish me. Woo! That's, I'm going to, oh, whoa. I'm going to fear. That is not where fear comes from biblically. And this is what's so confusing to us. Fear is an intellectual response to our need from God. So where does it happen? It happens with learning. Last week we said this. 
in the book of Proverbs in the Bible, right? Proverbs is like a school. People would go to this school to learn these Proverbs, and they would already know what I'm getting ready to tell you. They would already know. But we d- I didn't know this. I didn't know this till recently, all right? Here's where fear comes from. I'm going to give you just two Scripture verses, Deuteronomy 4 and then again Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy is all about studying over and over. There's lines in Deuteronomy that says, you know what, you know what, you know what, study the Bible every day and think about it. And if, if you happen to have kids, you know, when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night, when you leave your house and when you come back at like all the time, be teaching, be thinking, be learning, thinking deeply, deeply, deeply thinking about the Bible and what is it really saying. So in that context, here's two verses from Deuteronomy. There's others, but you know, all right, summon the people before me, and I will personally instruct them that they will learn to fear me, right? They'll learn. In that same chapter, chapter 4, the fire had come down on Mount Sinai. But God doesn't say, bring everybody here to the mountain, and they can see the fire that's going to light them up, and now they'll fear. No, 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 doesn't happen. What happens here is just they will learn, learn. It's an intellectual response to my need for God. As long as they live, and they will teach who? Their children to fear me also. They'll teach, not punish, not beat, not threaten, teach. Deuteronomy 31. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and do what? Hear and learn to do what? To fear God. It's an intellectual response. Fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. Dan Phillips, who is a Bible commentator, says this, the fear of God is produced by the word of God. The fear, it's intellectual. I, we, I, just, I know I keep impressing this point, but because this is so, I was so confused about so many years. I'm imagining some of us are. It's not an emotional response. It's an intellectual response through studying the word, through studying the Bible. Ah, I know that I need God the most. I said this last week, fear means first, and that's all fear means. Let me add on to that statement this week. Fear means first, and first means most. What's most important to you? What's most important to your life? What's most important? As we study and we learn and we think very, 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 very deeply about the Bible, about the Word of God, we realize that our most important need is God. Not what I can get from God, but God. But I want to get God. God is my most important need, right? So what matters to you most? What's in the center of your radar screen? What's in the center of your thoughts? What's the first thing that you reach for in the morning? What do you reach for in the morning first? What's on your mind first? Is it social media? Is it money? Is it work? What? What's first in your life? Where do you start your day with? Where does the day begin for you? When you have a problem, how do you start your problems out? This is what shows us in a practical way what is really the most valuable thing to us. When I have a problem, generally what I do is I think about how am I going to solve it? And next I think about who am I going to be upset with for causing me the problem? These are natural things I go through. What I don't do, what I would do, what I would do if God was the most important thing to us is when I had a problem, I briefly just, oh God, help me, right? Inside of me or whatever, but I would turn towards God and then I would begin to think about the principles about handling problems and the right way to handle them that are in here, that are here. That's what I would do if God was the most important thing. But that's what I seldom do, to be honest with you. 
But if God is at the center, he's the center of my thoughts, he's what I start my problems with, he's what I start my plans with, my schedule with, he's what I start my money with, right? Those things. If God is how I start, then probably God is the most important thing in my life. And it's just a great practical way to think about it. What we start with is important. Listen, what starts us shapes us. What starts you shapes you. The first thing you start with is what begins to shape your day. We know this, right? Researchers tell us this. If you start with your phone, you keep coming back to your phone all day long. If your phone, wonderful phones, if we start, if the first thing we reach for in the morning is our phone, that we will, watch this, this is, this is a scientific fact, this is proven, right? We will have the tendency to keep reaching, 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 reaching all day for it. That is what research tells us. And if you start with God, you'll probably keep reaching to God all day. And if you start for something else, you'll probably keep reaching for that. What starts us shapes us. What do we keep coming back to consistently? And like the heater. Nobody had to tell me, hey, there's heater number 1054 over there. Do you want to stop by and see it? No, no. I stopped by every heater I saw persistently and consistently. Thank you for the heater, almighty heater. Thank you, right? Praising the heater. Everybody all over Bush Gardens, worshiping, worshiping the heater right? That's because it's in the center of our thoughts persistently and consistently. What is first for you? What is first for you? First impressions are powerful, right? Can you finish this proverb for me? You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Very, very, very powerful. What's first? What we start with, you've had a lot of firsts. A lot of firsts in your life and they've shaped you. You had a first job and it affected you. I'm like, no, it didn't. I hated my job. Well, there you go. It affected you. <laughs> you didn't like it. I don't want a job like this ever again in my life. You had a first car. I love that car. Okay, it shaped you. I don't like that car. I want to do something different with it. But your first job and your first car, right, it affects you. First date. Oh, my goodness. Did that affect you or what, right? Your first date, right? Oh, it was terrible or it was great, Right? Some of us, I see some people looking at each other now right, with a smile on your face. Your first day, your first kiss, your first kiss, it affected you. Yes, it did. If you're a husband sitting next to your wife, just start shaking your head as long as it was her. <laughs> My kids, uh, you know, they asked me recently, hey, dad, do you remember your first kiss with mom? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, yes, I do. You know where you were, when, and like all, how long was the, how long did it last? I know exactly. I know when, where, I know everything. I said, yes, Sunday night, right, in the church parking lot after church. <laughs> it lasted 0.05 seconds. <laughs> then the question was, Dad, you know, how was it? Was it good? Was it good? And I said, you're here, aren't you? <laughs> what starts us shapes us. What's first? What do you reach for first? What's in the center of your radar? What's in the center of your thoughts? In a practical way, everybody, that's what you fear the most. That's what's most important to you. People have said this for years. Check your calendar. Check your checkbook. We don't have checkbooks anymore, so we have to change that. Check, you know, check those things. Check that. That is practically what matters. How about this? What are you never too busy for? What are you never too busy for? What do you always find money for? Man, I'm so busy, I can't. I got got just too busy. Oh, but you find time for that. You know why you find time for that? Because that is what you value the most. You're tight on money, but you always find money for that. When you get super busy, when you get super busy, what do you cut first? 
What do you cut last? Think about this, right? For a lot of people, well, a lot of people, they say, you know what? Honestly, when I get super busy, the first thing I cut is God. They just do, honestly. It happens to, I can be honest with you, it happens to me a lot too. Right? You have time to pray? No, I'm busy. I got to go stuff for, I got to go do stuff for, I'm a pastor. I got to go do stuff for God. I'm too busy for God. Let me go do stuff for God. I got a lot of stuff to do for God, right? I'm super busy. Super busy. When you get super busy, what do you cut first? And a lot of people say it's God. You know, I, I, I don't pray. I don't, I don't study the Bible. Right? I, I stop going to church. You know why? Because it's just God. God will understand. I mean, of all people, he will, and he will. He will understand. But it says something about us. It says something about what's most important to us. It's just God. It's just church. I've been reading this great book about, like, organizational leadership and effectiveness and great companies. And, and the guy who wrote it uh, used to work for Marriott. Then he wanted to work for Disney. It's an excellent book. And a big push in the book is about customer service and how important customer service is. So when he ran a huge Marriott, he had as their motto, we want to treat our customers, you know, so great that they won't even be able to believe it. They can't believe, like, can't, I can't believe you guys treated me this great. And then he offers all these stories that then he would then circulate around all the Marriott's and they would put it in their newsletters and blah, 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 so that all their employees would hear. And he gave a ton of stories. I'll give you just a couple. He said, they had a customer that came to the front desk. I need a, a banana. Can, can I, do you have a banana here? And they're like, no, the, the kitchen's closed. The restaurant, there's no bananas. I'm so sorry about that. And the customer kind of walks away. Oh, well, shucks, whatever. And then the thought hit him after the customer left. Oh, I could run into the kitchen, and I could raid the kitchen, and I could find a banana, and I could take it to their room, and I could write a note, you know, bananas on us or something like that, right? I could write. So they did that, and they told the story. I was like, yes, that's awesome. Way to go. Marriott, that's a great company. You want to visit that company because that's, that's awesome. Told another story because he worked for Disney. And, you know, uh, one of the cast members at Disney, you know, ran into somebody who they, had, they were staying at one of the resorts and they forgot their cell phone charger. And so you know what the cast member did? The next day on their day off, they went to the store, got a charger, and brought it to, right? Yes, this is awesome, right? This is great. I used to work for UPS. And when I worked for UPS, the 10.30 cutoff time on the next day air, super big deal, everybody. Super big deal. And so we would have these, you know, tons of our drivers would be around in these meetings. We're all browned up in the uniform, and the supervisors would tell us a story. And they would tell us a story to motivate us, you know, to get the package there on time. I don't care who you have to hit to get in there, but get it, get it in there, right? So I told this story about a guy right here. It was out of our center in Chantilly. He knew the customer really needed the package by 1030, and he's driving there too, right? right? And it's like 1015, and his truck breaks down. You know what he does? Grabs the package and sprints two miles. Now, we got a problem right there already, but he sprints, sprints two miles and gets the package gets the package, you know, delivered. Like, yes, and those things are cool. And nobody would question that. We would say, yes, that's a great organization. That is a great organization. And it's about, it's about our money. It's about our jobs, about our careers. Like, yes, we all want to be a part of building, building, building something great. But when it comes to church, it's just church. When it comes to God, it's just God. And here's what I began to think about. You know what? I have never heard somebody tell a story that they walked into an Apple store and they just began to weep and cry because they felt the presence of God so strong. Like, oh, 
gosh, the presence. I just keep coming back to this Apple store week after week because I felt the presence of God. I just go there for months. It's It's so powerful. Apple has changed my life. I feel eternal hope in my soul because of Apple. I have not heard that. I have heard somebody go to Target and say, you know what? I walked into Target with my wife and we did, our marriage got healed. <laughs> we just go there and we'd stand, we'd stand in the checkout aisle week after week and we just heal. I mean, God would just show up and just heal our marriage. I never heard that. I heard it be about crying or feeling eternal hope. And that. It's great. It's awesome. You know where I have heard it? I've heard it at Just Church. I've heard it over and over again. I've heard people say that they've eternal hope at church, Just Church. I've heard, heard people many times, their marriage has been healed. I have talked to numerous people who've been coming to Grace over the years, numerous people, and they said, you know what, for the first three months, I just sat, I just sat in the seat and I cried because I felt the presence of God and I felt like some healing was going on. I've never heard somebody say that about Apple or Walmart or Target or even Disney where dreams come true. I've never, but I have heard people say that about, about, about church, just church. So what matters most to you? What is the most important thing to you? All right, New Year's resolution. I know it's the second Sunday in the year, but can we, can we at least, can we go back? Do you know what the number one New Year's resolution is for 2018? Please, audience participation. Yell it out online, yell it out at the screen, yes. Exercise. Exercise. Wait, get in shape. Save money. These are excellent. You know, uh, you know the, the favorite has always been, right? There's always been the consistency. What, and that is? Lose weight. Exactly. You know what it is this year? It's dethroned the whole get in shape weight loss thing. You know what it is? Be a better person. Be a better person. You know, in the first service, we had a great moment. I said, after that, I said, you know how you become a better person? And somebody over here, I don't know who it was. I need to find out who did that. They yelled out. I said, how to be a better person? They said, lose weight. (laughs) That was good. All right. Be a better person. How are you going to become a better person? So this is where we have to really think um, deeply, intellectually here, okay? Not emotionally. How, How do we become a better person? And of course... I'm thinking a lot about this. I'm sure you're thinking about this too because of what this weekend represents. Dr. King's weekend. And we're we're thinking about civil rights, human rights, universal, universal human rights, right? That all people, as Dr. King would say so often in his speeches, are created in the image of God and deserve to be treated with justice, right? That's why I wanted these verses read this morning that Lyle Natasha read about justice, about not oppressing people, about being a better person, about being a good person, honesty, integrity, justice, mercy, grace, these things. Now, here's the question. How do, how do we do that? Right? Well, so, you know, Dr. King, the civil rights movement, not everybody realizes this. Many of you in this room realize it, particularly if you were here last year and we talked so much about it. That was, that was, that was founded here. It's founded on the Bible. And you know, everybody, when I, I, I've been talking about this. We have to learn the Bible. And immediately we have a problem in our culture. We have an immediate problem in our culture because there's a lot of confusion about the Bible and there's a lot of messaging that's going on about the Bible out there. And immediately some of us say, mm, I don't want to become that person. 
I don't want to become that person who's like all into the Bible because that's a certain type of person. I just, let's wipe all that away. What recently won the Golden Globes? Best drama, best drama. Come on, you guys are up on that. I know you guys are up on it. Who won Golden Globes, best drama? Thank you very much. Okay, in the back, A Handmaid's Tale. What's The Handmaid's Tale about? Okay, it's about a, a group of people who are all into the Bible and who use the Bible and they quote the Bible. This is the best drama, Golden Globe's best drama, number one, right? So it was popular and now it's going to be far more popular. It's about people who use the Bible to oppress other people, particularly women. And they quote the Bible as they abuse women. They quote the Bible as they abuse women. It's very oppressive, very, 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 very oppressive to women. Why do I want to study this? If that's what it's all about. So there's a messaging that's really confusing. That's not the message of the Bible. But that's what a lot of people, a lot of people, oh yeah, I know about church, Westboro, Westboro Baptist, of course. There's like 40 people in that church and they're all related to each other. <laughs> uh, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting to you is there, 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 there's, a, there's, there's a problem. So immediately you and the people around you and me and the people around me, all of us, all of us, we're, de- we're coming with different things in our minds, right? Coming things in our minds. Civil rights movement was based on the Bible. I don't, won't go any farther than that, but it's, it's about studying the Bible. So how do we accomplish this New Year's resolution? How do we accomplish civil rights? How do we become better people? How does this practically, practically happen? Well, fear would say this. Ready? Fear would say look outside of yourself. Look to a holy God, a just God, a merciful God in which you've been creating his name because he is holy, righteous, and pure. Now, there's a different message that comes, and we hear it often, particularly in books and literature and in movies. Because when, when, when there's movies, people do focus groups and say, what does the audience want to hear? What do they want to hear? And so the other message is, don't look outside of yourself. What's the message? Look inside of yourself because the light is in you be the change be the difference and when people hear that and when i hear that i like it i'm like yes there's something emotionally i really like about that right i want to be the light i want to be the change but the issue is historically when we look inside of ourselves we don't find answers we find problems historically that's what happens And so to fear God, when you learn the Bible, you learn that you need God. God needs to be number one. And you get a right, accurate, we're going to spend weeks on this and trust issues. Weeks on it. Who God, who is really God? God according to God. That's what we're going to study. Who is this God? So we get a right view of God. We look outside of ourselves. We look inside ourselves. We have a problem. We don't find answers. We find more problems. That's why Stephen Hawking said, very smart guy, right? We're all down with that. Genius. Genius. He says, we better up the pace on space exploration. Why? (laughs) Because we've got to get ourselves to different planets because we're going to kill ourselves. Because where's the problem? The problem is inside, inside of us. And many times throughout history, groups of people who have been oppressed, when they rise up out of that oppression and now they're out of the oppression, they become the oppressors. Why? Because the problem is in us. Now, James Madison, I told you we went to Williamsburg recently. uh, Madison, in the Federalist Papers, has a fantastic quote about this. Federalist Paper, number 51, quoting Madison. This is what he says. Listen to this. This is excellent. What is government? What is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. 
If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. As you read about those days, you understand that we as Americans wanted to relieve ourselves of the oppression of Britain. We wanted to throw it off. And Madison, smart enough to know this, that if we throw it off and we create this government, we cannot create a government that's going to turn around and be oppressive just like Britain was to us. And instead, we needed limited government. We needed checks and balances. Why? Because the answer isn't in us. The problem is in us. And we need to look outside of us. And that's why on just an intellectual level, you might say, hey, I'm not into the Bible. I'm not into God. Okay, good. Okay, fine. Fine. On an intellectual level, the answer is not inside of us because history shows us that we just, and that's why Madison writes that, and it was brilliant. brilliant Okay, let's go to something a little more modern day. Let's get away from the 18th century. Okay. Hunger Games. Hunger Games. So the millennials, when they heard the title of this, apparently the millennials like, oh, you're going to talk about the Hunger Games. Like, no, I'm not actually. But here's my shot at it, millennials, okay? Okay, here's a few moments of happiness. So what is the famous phrase about odds in Hunger Games? What is it? Which is totally untrue, right? You would say that to somebody because they're getting ready to go in there, fight for your life, and you're trying to build their hopes just so you can watch them emotionally freak out and die, right? So it was, it was, there's, no, there's no justice to the statement whatsoever. And the person who had, I, that said it, right, she had a really interesting fashion sense. That's right. Okay. We're all together. Okay. So what do we know? What do we know then? What do we know about the Hunger Games? We've got this evil president, President Snow, okay, and just terrible, 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 oppressive, just bad. Let's get them out, just in, right, right? And who, you have the rebel leader, right? Not Katniss, but the president of the rebel, right? And her name is? Coin, thank you, one person. Okay, nobody else knows, are there no millennials in the room? So you have this rebel leader coin rising up and finally they get this evil, oppressive President Snow, capture him, and now they're going to execute him. And who's going to, who, who, who's going to execute? Oh, Katniss. And we love Katniss, right? I, don't, I can't tell you why we love Katniss, but anyway, we love Katniss. It's going to execute. But Katniss realizes right before she's going to execute Snow... What she realized? She realizes that the new rebel leader who had been oppressed had only risen up, thrown off the yoke of oppression, and now just wanted to per- perpetuate more oppression as long as she was at the top of the oppression. So, in the big scene, Katniss with the what? Bow and arrow, right? She's got the bow and arrow, and it's pulled. And there is President Snow. Just above President Snow is President Coin, rebel leader. She's pulling it. She's thinking. She's thinking. She raises it. Boom. Shoots the rebel leader. Why? Because the answer is not inside of us. The problem is inside of us, and we tend to rise up and oppress again over and over again and realizes that. It's a deeply intellectual thought. Thank goodness for Hunger Games giving us this awesome message. When we get the order of things distorted, everybody, we keep coming back to this. I know I do all the time, but the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden was all about God being at the top, most important. And all of a sudden that got subverted. And when it got subverted, when all that got subverted, it plunged us into chaos as a people because God is meant to be at at the top. One last thing, I'm going to say three things, just really, really briefly, three habits that we can form that you can fill in on the back. Let me say one last thing. So, um, 
Uh, I did not buy this book. You would think it'd be a book that I would buy, but I did not buy this book. But for Christmas, my wife bought a book about dogs. And obviously, she did not read enough of the book before she bought it because uh, on Christmas Day, when my daughter opened the book up about dogs, she just flipped through a couple pages, and here is what she reads. I'm just going to paraphrase, okay? Dogs need hierarchy. Dogs need to know like a pecking order, where, and dogs are not meant to be at the top of the hierarchy. And if you treat your dog, like if you love on your dog too much, like when you come in, if, 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 you, treat, if you greet your dog first before your husband or the kids, or anything, right? I just, okay, work with me. If you, if you do that first, if dog is first, dog gets fed first, dog gets greeted first, the dog learns the dog is at the top. Yeah, now I'm quoting if the dog's at the top of the hierarchy, it throws the dog into chaos mentally and emo- This is a book on dogs. I'm not telling you, you know my personal views, okay? I'm just quoting you, <laughs> dog experts. It throws the dog into chaos mentally and emo- You're killing your dog mentally and emotionally to put the dog way up there. That's what the book says. Now, it's the last thing I'm going to say about that learning plan. I want to conclude with this. If learning, all right, this is how God becomes most important, right? The study of it, the study of the word, like then, then it becomes really simple. Everything's become very, very simple all of a sudden. How can I live a high quality life? How can I live a life of wisdom? How can I see trouble coming and step out of it? Everything becomes just incredibly simple. Do you have a learning plan? That's what it all comes down to. Do I have a plan to learn what is really in the Bible so I can live a life of wisdom? Three things. Ready? Number one, you have to set it. Set it. You have to set your priorities. I'm reading, I'm reading a book about high-achieving executives. You know what it says? It says they, they, they figured out their priorities, and they set it, and they stick to it. They set it, they stick to it. They don't divert from it. They set their priorities, and like a dog on a bone, they just keep coming back to their priorities over and over again. Champion athletes do the same thing. They figure out their priorities. They learn what to say no to because they're sticking to their priorities even when nobody's watching. Even when they don't feel like sticking to their priorities, they stick to their priorities, and they set it, and they don't forget it. They set it and don't forget it. Now, in the Bible, in Proverbs, the word path is used 31 times. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. is used 31 times. You know why it's a path? Because it's not a pill. Wisdom is a path. It's not a pill. There's no quick fix. It's like, oh, yeah, we're great. We love pills in America. I think research bears that out. Give me a pill. Fix it, right? People come into my office. Can you just give me a pill for that? Right? So, we, but it's an experience, it's a path. It's life. It's learned. It's not a door that you walk through and now I've got wisdom. It's a path of a daily experience where you stick to your priorities day after day after day. Where is learning done best? What do we know from research where learning is done best? It's done best always in community. We always learn best in community, in church. This has been the case for thousands of years, everybody. This is wisdom. We learn best in community. We learn best in circles, in groups, like community groups sign up today. If you want a wise path for learning, you get in a group, you discuss, you study, you pray, you learn. Set a priority to come to church where we talk about this and we learn what does it really say because there's a lot of mixed messaging going on out there in 
the world. Like, what does it really mean to fear God? Oh, that's an emotional response. No, it's an intellectual response. Set it, you set it, you set it bright. Number two, you see it. So you set it, you see it. What are you going to see? High-achieving executives, according to this book that I'm reading, high-achieving executives, they see what they want to be two years, five years, ten years, all the way down. Not only do they see it, what they want to be, their preferred future. Here, this gets very, they get very specific. They see themselves in certain situations, how they're going to act, react, and even how they're going to feel when they're in the midst of that situation. So they're in a situation where they want to do X, Y, and Z or have a habit. They see that and they see how they're going to do it so that when they get into that situation, they actually do that. They see it. That's why I want Proverbs chapter 1 read. Because it says there in the beginning, my son, when people come along and they say, hey, let's do this bad thing or let's steal or let's, you know, oppress somebody or mistreat somebody, my son, walk away. What's being said there? I want you to see what, how you're going to act, how you're going to react, how you're going to feel. Do, it. do you do that? Are you clear on that? Do you have that? Because apparently high-achieving executives and athletes, champion athletes, do this. This is just wisdom. When I hear that, I would hear it before. say, Ah, whatever, that's not me. But that would be me ignoring wisdom. What wise people do is they see it with total clarity. King David. Talked about King David a little bit last week. King David is on the run from King Saul. Saul is chasing him like a dog all over the desert. David's out there with his men. David's hidden up in a cave somewhere. Saul's out trying to find him. Can't find him. Saul goes into a cave to go to the bathroom. Awkward situation. He's away from his troops. He's away from his bodyguard. It's the only time his bodyguard leaves him. He's going to the bathroom up in his cave. David's in the cave with all his men. His men immediately react how? Emotionally. They say, this is it. God has given him to your hands. Kill him. He can't be more vulnerable than he is right now. Run him through. And I'm thinking in that moment that David thought, because he's a high-achieving person, and he saw with total clarity, he saw himself 10 years later, and he's got his son walking up to him saying, Hey, Dad, could you tell me about that moment you became king? (laughs) Do I want to become king like this? How do you want to accomplish what you want to accomplish in life? Have you thought it through? Do you want to act the way you act? Do you want to react the way you're reacting? Have you thought it through? Stephen Covey, who's famous for the seven habits, says you need to think about your funeral. What do you want people to say at your funeral? Are you on a path to that? Are you on a path to the things you want people to say about you at your funeral? You have to see it with total clarity. One last thing. One last thing, okay? I know I'm almost done with time. Okay, one last thing. There is, in chapter 11 of Proverbs, a very interesting very interesting verse. It says this. Ready? I'm going to give it and I'm going to explain it, okay? Like a beautiful ring in a pig's snout is a woman, is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. I got to tell you, when I read that, I thought, ooh, ooh. That doesn't sound really nice towards women. But that was me not thinking. Because the message of the Bible and the message of Proverbs and the message of that chapter, particularly the message of that chapter, is all about objectifying women, Now, I don't know if you realize this, but for a lot of years, there's been a problem in our world with objectifying women. And what that verse is saying is, is that we have the habit of reaching for something, a man, sees something beautiful, he reaches for it, and he doesn't think about everything that's attached to it. The problems, the pain, all of that. And what the proverb is about is you need to project yourself. 
when you're tempted to do something that you shouldn't do, like objectify a woman, and you begin to reach, you need to see that hand coming down and say, don't reach. That's how powerful clarity is. Don't reach. Instead, we read that for years and think, oh, well, that's unfortunate to say about a woman. Actually, it's a wonderful thing to say about a woman. You treat them as a person that should be loved. That's what the proverb is. But you've got to see it because that's what high achievers do. They project themselves into situations. When I'm confronted with the situation, this is how I'm going to act, react, and this is how I'm going to feel in the midst of it. Okay, last point. Repeat it over and over and over again, right? It's a path. It's not a pill. It's a path. What do you do on a path? You step, and then after you step, you step, and then after you step, you step again. You just keep stepping. There's nothing exciting about that. There's nothing emotional. There's something very exciting about a pill. If wisdom was a pill, it's not. It's not. It's a path. It's a boring path. This isn't the kind of message you walk out and say, yes, I just feel so great. Thank you, John, for sharing all that. It's not. You should go out of here and, oh, that was so non-emotional. <laughs> right? Wisdom. Wisdom is the little things. Colin Powell in his famous 13 rules says, check the small things. What is wisdom? You find the small thing, you do those things, and you do them over and over and over again. How do you get out of debt? You spend less, and then you spend less, and then you spend less, and then you do it all again the next day. You just keep spending less. There's nothing exciting about it. None of us get jumping up and down. We get up, jump up and down, we're out of debt, but in the process, we don't, and it's a path. Are you willing to repeat it? When people are watching, when people aren't watching, when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Are you on a path when you feel like it and you don't feel like it to learn and study God's Word, to intellectually respond to God's Word and understand that you need God the most in your life? You know what champion athletes say all the time? And by the way, congratulations, Alabama fans. Congratulations. Congratulations. We've got one here. One here, fan. Congratulations on a big win. You know what uh, champion athletes say? There's a, you weren't there for those 5 a.m. workouts. Isn't that right? Nobody was there day after day after day after day when I woke up at 5 o'clock. Nobody was there when I ran that one drill, that tedious drill. And I ran that drill, okay, for those of you who have been in sports, and I ran that drill a thousand, two thousand, three thousand times. Over, and they say that. You weren't there. You weren't there. What do they do? They're repeating it. They're setting it, they're seeing it, and they're repeating it, and they're sticking to it over and over and over because that is the path that leads us towards wisdom. All right. Well, I'm done because it's 12 o'clock, and I appreciate you listening. I want to say one last thing. Next week, we're going to have a special gift for everybody here, a special gift, and this gift is going to help you to grow in wisdom and to step out of the path of trouble when it comes your way. I think it's pretty cool. We're going to have a gift for everybody next week. All year long, it's going to help you do that. All right? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody here in this room. Lord, you know uh, what you gripped my heart with for this year, and that is that every single one of us in this room, watching online right now, that God, you would bless us with your wisdom, that you would open our eyes to wisdom, that we would put you first and see trouble coming and step out of the way so that when we get to the end of 2018, we could say, this year, I saw it coming, I stepped out of the way, and I avoided the problems, I avoided the pain, and I avoided the tears. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless each one of us with that that kind of wisdom. Please. In Christ's name, everybody said, Amen.